0: Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was the greatest encourager that I ever knew, and I want to tell you about him in this book, the things that my dad taught me, stories about his life, stories from my own life, and other relative connecting principles. You can go to Amazon.com and get it in paperback or Kindle. And now, here's another great episode of the Intentional Encourager podcast, coming right now. Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now, here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And you know, you have people on the podcast that are a little bit different. And today's guest is no exception. This guy, the first time I talked to him, he told me he wants to do things with purpose. And I'm like, what a concept. You should come on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And so Jason Ricks joins me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. It was almost like throwing it up there for an alley. You you just threw it up there for an alley oop, Jason, and 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 it was just like I I had I can't jump anymore, but you know that it's just like you know virtually just putting it back through the hoop. But Jason, thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast.
1: Yeah, uh, Brian, I'm thrilled to be here, and uh, let me tell you, we crashed the boards that first time we. Uh had a chance to catch up and talk, and uh, it was, uh, man, I think that conversation lasted about 20 minutes, and we hit, like, 47 uh, uh, different points of view on that yeah. time, short first call. So yeah. I knew then that we were like people because we can move and uh, jam out together. So I'm I'm just thrilled to be here.
0: Anytime you bring a sports reference to the party, I'm down, man. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm all the way down. Let me start here, and, and I've been talking to people as we've gone through the midst of COVID-19, as we record this episode. I talk to people and I say, you know, what has been, what has life like been for you? Because everybody has, I was just on a call before we started recording and, and and someone was sharing that, that they had a family member, they'd gone through it and they thought they were going to lose them. And they were just, they were just like, man, I just had all this stuff going on. You're in Lincoln, Nebraska. So what has it been like COVID in Nebraska? Take us through that because every state's been different everybody's experience has been different what what has the the pandemic been like for you
1: yeah so uh that's a great question you know one of the things that has been really a blessing for us being in nebraska is uh, the amount of shutdowns you know obviously we went through kind of the same phase early on where uh we we first learned about covid and then everyone's like oh it's not a big deal and then all of a sudden, uh, you couldn't buy toilet paper. You couldn't buy beef. You couldn't couldn't find chicken. And then it, it just morphed. Now its hold way up, along.
0: hold up, hold up. You live near Omaha, Nebraska, the home of Omaha Steaks, and you couldn't buy beef. I mean, what is up with that? I mean, you see all these ads for. And by the way, if someone's listening from Omaha Steaks, contact me at intentionalencouragerpodcast <laughs> at gmail I love me some Omaha steaks, and we'd love to have another sponsor on the podcast. Shameless plug, but you know, again, what's it? Like? Because I thought people in West Virginia—I mean, we had toilet paper issues, but that—that that, I mean, it's West Virginia. Good grief, you know. But <laughs> but what? You're in. You're you're near Omaha steaks, and there's no beef, man. What's that like? Yeah, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around it. I know it's like, it's, it's crazy because that's, you know, outside of like corn and
1: soybeans, beef production is probably the number three largest uh, business in the state as a whole. Um, but it, it was very weird. It was weird, you know, you could get it, but it was expensive. And, uh, but to your point, you know, uh, being from Omaha, where Omaha Steaks is, it, it's a wild concept that there was a shortage of beef.
0: I, I just, I, I, again, man, I'm just trying to, to, to figure that out in my mind. I've just, my tiny mind is just not grasping that concept, but you know, it's funny how, how COVID affects different people in different places. You were talking about not having access to toilet paper and things like that. And we all went through that initially. What are things now fast forward some 11 months after everything got started? what are what's going on now kind of give me a current state of affairs, um, in, in the state of Nebraska right now. Yeah. So,
1: you know, um, schools are back in session. Um, I would say our, you know, supply wise, I mean, everything seems to be fine here as far as getting things to and from and having uh, food available. Um, we, um, uh, we are, seeing a little bit of uh, return to office settings so we have some of the larger employers that are now letting people go back to the uh, high rises Uh, in most cases we're seeing those people return um, in a half half week kind of thing so they'll work two days in the office and a couple days at home Um, but i would say we are getting back to 67 percent of normal still no major events and things like that which i'm looking forward to i mean man not being able to go to the college basketball concerts, and you know, I didn't get to go see one Nebraska football game this year, and that's the first time that's happened in the last four or five years, and so that was a real big downer for me.
0: I'm surprised people in Lincoln, Nebraska, just didn't riot, <laughs> just just burn, you know, just burn it to the ground because, and you mentioned that, Jason, because you know, the Big Ten, there was talk that in Nebraska is is a member. Um, NU Nebraska University is a member of the Big Ten now. They had been a longtime member of, of the Big 12 and, and just a few years ago went to the Big 10. And the Big 10 was not going to play football. So here, all these schools around them, you know, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, that were traditional Big 12 rivals when they were all in the same conference, Iowa State, um, they were all going to play. Nebraska wasn't going to play. When, when that all came out, i got to ask you this, because I live three hours from Columbus, Ohio, where Ohio State is. And so we're, we're kind of a little bit away from Big Ten country, but we still kind of touch Big Ten country. What was that like in Lincoln, Nebraska, where you have arguably some of the most passionate – because there's no pro sports teams in, in the state of Nebraska. Nebraska football is it as far as the drawing well, card. What was that like when the scuttlebutt began to, to happen, that there was going to be no Nebraska football this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was uh, – I'm convinced that the Big Ten, you know, they they definitely caved due to the fan bases in Ohio State and Nebraska. And it's, you know, uh, not to get off your, your question, but the interesting thing for me out of everything was, you know, Nebraska and Ohio State, used to be somewhat uh, contentious and rivalry in nature when they played each other. And the game this year, you know, they kicked off the first game of the season against each other Um, that the game just did not have that hostile feel to it because the schools had come together to save the, the big 10. And I I'm convinced that there was some pressure put on in back rooms of uh, that we don't even know about about pressure of potential people leaving.
0: Well, Nebraska had signed it. They had a an agreement worked out with the University of Chattanooga, a, a former a former rival of Marshall's, the school that I went to, and and they wanted to play Chattanooga. I think they were going to go to Chattanooga, or Chattanooga was going to come to Lincoln, but they had an agreement worked out. And the Big Ten said no non-conference games. So Nebraska, to your point, was very proactive at saying we want to play football and things like that. And really economically for the state of Nebraska, for Lincoln proper, for, I mean, economically Nebraska football is so important not only to the university, to the town, but also to the state of Nebraska from an economic standpoint.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think even more so. I mean, obviously, the economic you can't, you cannot uh, downplay the economic impact uh, uh, of the football season has on, on the state of Nebraska, but um, the emotional toll of what it would have been had we not had football in Nebraska during this pandemic. Um, I, you know, and, and despite having a, a pretty poor season that we had. Um, the fact is, is we still got Nebraska football, albeit, you know, it was on the, on the TV and, and, and people had to find ways to enjoy that in small groups versus, uh, you know, I, there's, there's, there's only one stadium I've ever been to. I've been to a number of stadiums. There's only one stadium I could tell you that I've been to that's better than Nebraska on a game day and that's Texas A&M, you know, but, um, I, I don't think that there's a better school in the country that has better. Traditions at Texas a now but, but Nebraska, man, on a game day, it is insane in Lincoln.
0: You got to come to Huntington one time, man. I mean, uh, you know, come to a Marshall game, man. We, I, I, you could be my guest to to a Marshall game. I mean, you know, it's 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 thirty five thousand apathetic fans going <laughs> go, herd. You know, it's it's just you know, it is what it is. I I kid there, but you know, it, it, it's funny because, and I want you to you know, before we kind of pivot and take the conversation somewhere else. There may be people that say, I'm not a college football fan. I'm not, you know, that just doesn't appeal to me. But really, can you, what is one thing for those of us that do like college football? What's one thing about Nebraska fans that most people wouldn't realize because they have been a long time, Story program. You mentioned Ohio State. You know now they're in a conference with Ohio State and Michigan and Iowa and Penn State and, and a lot of different traditional powers that have that have been in college football. And Nebraska has a couple in that. Listen, we owe Nebraska here at Marshall. We owe Nebraska a debt of gratitude. The nineteen ninety five. Before you answer my question, the nineteen ninety five Fiesta Bowl. The night that Tommy Frazier ran rough shot over the Florida defense that was coached by Bob Pruitt the next day after Jim Donnan takes the Marshall or takes the Georgia job. Bob Pruitt is rescued out of Gainesville and comes to Marshall and becomes the head coach of the Marshall thundering herd after Tommy Frazier ran rough shot over his Florida (laughs) defense. So, there's a hat tip from the Marshall fans to the and Pruitt was one of our the one of our most successful coaches here at Marshall. So, but what do most most fans not recognize or not realize about Nebraska fans?
1: Yeah, so some some fans might might already know this, but I will tell you that you know having been to a number of different stadiums and during my Air Force time and during my uh, you know throughout my my uh, my lifespan, I have lived in a number of different places. The fans are so gracious um, to to the opposing team. I mean, um, I, I I I happen to remember um, Nebraska had been on one heck of a tear at the time I was living down in Texas, and uh, you know Texas, uh, the University of Texas came to town, and um, they I believe they had Major Applewhite was the quarterback, and the they the Texas Longhorns took it to them on their home field, and it was the first loss in, in years and the nebraska fans gave the team a standing ovation going off the field and to this day when they lose they they give a standing ovation to the opponent as they leave the field and i just think for me i think that that speaks to the class of not only the fans but of the state
0: yep and and you know one thing i'll say about nebraska um they they you it takes a lot for you to to get fired as a Nebraska football coach, it, it takes a lot because uh, there's a guy that coaches about an hour and a half from here at Ohio University. A guy that was at Nebraska for a number of years, Frank Solich, um, has been at Ohio University a long time, and and Frank Solich who who followed Tom Osborne, the great, the legendary Nebraska head coach, and and Nebraska now has a, a great young head coach in Scott Frost, who played quarterback there, and so. Um, it's fun to see, you know, I I can still remember the, the 83 orange bowl game or the 84 orange bowl, the 83 season where Turner Gill was trying to punch it in on a two point conversion and got held out of the end zone. I, I am old enough to remember Turner Gill playing quarterback, (laughs) which was funny because Marshall was in the Mac and he coached at Buffalo. And it was like, well, you know, I, I remember watching Turner Gill play quarterback at Nebraska.
1: Yeah, and I'll say something. I had the opportunity to meet Turner Gill now. Um, I was a pretty, pretty young youngster, and at the time, living in Texas, and I didn't have a lot of exposure to the Huskers at that time, but um, I had a chance to meet Turner Gill about 10 years ago, and I will tell you, Turner Gill is probably one of the most gracious and generous guys that you'll ever meet. I mean, just a phenomenal individual.
0: Well, and and I'll tell you this too, you know, being a Cincinnati Bengals fan, um, Joe Burrow's two older brothers played at Nebraska, and and Zach Taylor, who was the the head who was the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, played at, at the University of Nebraska. His brother played at Marshall University. His younger brother Perez played at Marshall, and and we almost had Zach Taylor. <laughs> Zach was going to come to Marshall, and it just it didn't it didn't work out. He would have probably sat behind Byron Leftwich for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, but, you know, that's the thing that you hear most is that the way people are treated when they're there, former players and, and people like that. And that's a credit to Coach Osborne who believed in doing things the right way. You carry yourself correctly. You act with a certain decorum. One thing you could say about Nebraska teams, they were very disciplined. They were very well coached. And you never had problems with them off the field because coach Osborne wouldn't put up with it. And you know, it's, it's, it's a far cry from, from some programs who just let their guys run roughshod. So, but you and I could talk college football I know forever, ever in a day. I want to get to your story, Jason. I want you to go back as far as you want to go from point a to, to, to where you are today and just tell your story and, and I'll jump in from time to time and, ask you some other questions people you know how we do on the intentional yeah. encourager podcast folks we just you know we want to pull out that conversation but take folks through your story jason
1: yeah so you know i was born and raised in uh east texas um i grew up about an hour and 20 minutes uh from uh texas a&m university you know i lived uh i lived uh about an hour and a half north of uh north of, uh, Houston and about two and a half hours south of, uh, Dallas. Um, I kind of got my start, you know, I'm in the retail sector. i kind of got my start working for my dad. Uh, I was about 13 years old, came home, uh, one day from the golf course. I used to spend a lot of time at the golf course during the summers. Um, just hitting balls, picking up balls. I, I become a, uh, kind of a mascot out there. And, uh, we, uh, he said, son, I need you to go to work with me tomorrow. I, my guys in the hospital in critical condition had a heart attack, um, by the next morning he had passed away and my dad ran a Williams in Nacogdoches, Texas. And you know, Nacogdoches, Texas as a college town, uh, as Stephen F. Austin state university is there. And basically, uh, he couldn't get anybody hired. So I worked for him the rest of the summer. Um in exchange for pizza and uh, going to Clear Springs, which was a great catfish place. Um, Turned 16, decide, you know, I'd worked for my dad on weekends and on um, time when I was out of school. And I thought, you know, I'm ready to get my own job. So I went to work for a, a little grocery store, worked for them um, throughout high school. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot through that. You know, I by the time I graduated high school, I was the, the number three manager and the, uh, company. Jason,
0: what was it like working? I got to ask you because you, you hit on, you, you really hit on something there personal to me. I was 40 the first time I got to work with my dad. My dad and I worked together the last 10 months of his life. You were a young man and your dad says, I need your help. Kind of similar to what my dad did. When you look back what do you think your dad saw in you other than a warm body? What do you think your dad saw in you? And and what, would, what was the one thing you learned by working for your dad at such a young age? Yeah, so I,
1: I think that my dad recognized early on that I had a gift of relating with people. And I think he knew at the time that I was always curious to learn. So I've always had this curiosity of learning, the more and more I learned, the better I feel, um, as far as, you know, kind of thinking about what is the best thing that my, uh, that I learned from my dad, uh, it's, it's an easy answer. And that is how he interacted with his employees and his, and his customers.
0: Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now what's that you might say? Well, search engine optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept seo national is owned by my good buddy damon burton who's been a guest here on the intentional encourager podcast not only has damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes from e-commerce startups to nba teams and shark tank featured businesses but more importantly damon and his team are about transparency trust and providing lifetime value so much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Yeah, did you ever true. think about staying? I mean did, because you know because he, you know what what people don't realize and and I didn't mean to interrupt you there but I, I had to, to go there for a minute because the easiest thing to, to, to do is, well, my dad owns the place. I'm not going to get fired. I'm probably more likely to get spanked when I get home instead of getting fired here at work. And I can stay and I don't have to put an application in at the local grocery store. And, and I can stay here and work for my dad as long as I want to. But what was that pull to you and what was that conversation like when you went to your dad and said, hey, I, I want to go do something else? Because I can imagine at 16, you know, it, when you're in your 40s, you go, yeah, dad, I, you know, I'm I'm ready to take off and do what I want to do. And when you're an adult, it's a little bit easier. You're 16 and you have this hard conversation with your dad. Like, I think it's time for me to go somewhere else. What was that like for you? And did you, did you have to kind of work up the courage to do that or was it? Was it did you just feel like in your in your mind and your spirit it was time to do something else? Yeah,
1: so believe it or not, my dad has always been extremely supportive of what my decisions are and, and what I envision with my life and so it was an actual pretty easy conversation and it really just boiled down to I wanted to go make my own name in my own way and I wanted to go do it for myself and you know that's really what it boiled down to was that I wanted to be on my terms and figuring it out for myself versus, you know, being there with him and, 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 and continuing on in that respect.
0: You know, and I admire the, the courage that that takes because I, I'll tell you this is that, you know, a lot of times people don't realize the way the world works today is to get to some places that you want to go in your career. You got to know somebody. To get your foot in the door, you know, that my first job, my dad helped me because a really good friend of our family was a VP of sales at a food service distribution company. And he helped me get my foot in the door at 22 years old. And, and so, man, I admire the courage that you had because it's all, it would have been an easy path for you to just say, I can stay here. And then when, when my dad doesn't feel like doing this anymore, I can probably inherit this store. You know, and inherit a good life. You go to work at a grocery store at a young age and, and then you know you move up to to being a third manager. Was that something that you had in mind or did you just kind of fall into it? Because some some people fall into leadership and some people are intentional about pursuing it from the minute they walk in the door. Yeah, so I
1: think it's weird. I think I I don't like to prescribe to this born leadership type of mindset. Um I think that there's but I will say that as I went there, I just wanted to be the best at whatever I do. So I, I, from an early age, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be number one. And uh, I, 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 just, I just always had that mindset. So when I started there as a bagger, it was, I'm going to be the best bagger. So I would, I would intentionally try to beat people in and out of the building so that I could take three customers out to their, to their one or two so that I could make more tips, right? Well, now I'm out there busting it, I'm sweating, and I'm not even there two weeks. And I get called in the office and the boss is like, Hey, we need a guy to bust it out and that we can trust to put in the dairy, we want you to do that. And it was, yes, sir. And then, you know, this progressed through a number of different jobs. and and and, and roughly a year after I was there, I'm leading the stock crew. You know, I'm a, a crew of about 13 guys. And I'm the youngest. And, you know, I look back on that now as an operator, right, of of this huge yeah. conglomerate that I'm part of right now. And I think, what the heck were they thinking? You know, you know like
0: something, I, I, I'm glad you said that because I got hired in a grocery store at 17. And, and I, it was an independent chain. Then we were bought out by Foodland. And they hired me and I did really well in the cashier test. But I worked for a guy, and as you're telling your story, I'm having flashbacks to my own story because I worked for a guy that believed in immense versatility. He wanted somebody that he could plug in. If I if I'm short on register, I can plug Brian in there. If I'm short in the deli, he can go run deli. I he, you know if I need a guy to work dairy frozen on the weekends, well Brian can do that. If I need somebody to run produce or working to me my boss was all about cross training to make the store to make every employee as versatile as they could be and and man it really helped me in life to understand the power of versatility and i can imagine that that you were you know the the people you worked for felt the same way about you and your career
1: yeah and that's exactly what happened and so um it it, it's it, it very much taught me at an early age though. You know when you're 17 and you're closing the store and you're going back and you're in charge of signing off whether the deli gets to leave or that the guy in the produce department gets to leave you know you're you know and i never looked at it as a boss i just looked at it as hey i'm kind of the guy that's gonna shepherd us through right and everyone always respected the way that i treated them and the way that i talked to them And that's just carried all the way through my entire career. And Well, because
0: you had some people, and I know in our grocery store, we had people, you know, you had part-timers that were going to college and and this, that, and the other. But you had people, those were their full-time jobs. Yes. And, you know, what you did at night affected them the next morning. And they were having to take responsibility, you know, if you – if if you just kind of messed around and didn't straighten up the, the, the produce cooler, or you didn't straighten up or the produce section, or you didn't, you know, face the dairy and frozen, you know, then those managers had to come in and do extra stuff the next morning. And you could really be a hero to those guys. If you, if you, you know, if you guys, if you weren't busy and you said, Hey, I'm going to go take 20 or 30 minutes and face up the dairy. I mean, you were a hero to those guys because it made them look good. So when they came in the next morning, they're like, man, my, my, my shells look great. You know, who did this? Yeah.
1: And that's, that was the thing that was the big differentiator. And I believe that's one of the reasons why the day I graduated high school, they handed me a key and I was the the number three guy in our, you know, brand new in our hometown where we were located, Brooks Brothers out of Lufka, Texas, you know, um, running the fresh market. And and uh, to your point, it, it was one of those to where you had built up so much respect that people, people advocated for you and you didn't even know it, you know, and I didn't know that at the time, but over time I came to really realize. And uh, I very much look back on those four and a half, five years I was in the grocery business as um, spe- a special time of my life and really helped springboard me to where I'm at today.
0: You mentioned being in the Air Force. Did you join the Air Force right out of high school? Did you take some time <clears throat> before you joined the Air Force? Because you just you mentioned that, um, you know when they when you graduated high school they handed you a key and you were the number three guy. What led to your decision to join to join the United States Air Force?
1: Yeah, so that's an interesting story. So, I loved what I did, um, and I actually was going to school. the The grocery store was paying me to go to school. And everything was going great. I had great leadership. I had support and I, you know, I w- w- it was good. Okay. <clears throat> they made a decision to promote the guy that I was working for. That's the store director I was working for. And they put a new, a, a, a different store director in. Well, this guy saw me as. You know, I don't, I, I don't even know what the right terminology is for this podcast, but basically. I would come in from school. I get there at 12, one o'clock in the afternoon. He'd meet me at the door headed home for the day. And, and then I had my job as the grocery manager and then trying to run the whole store for the rest of the night. And long story short, I it just, over time it got to where I couldn't get everything done. I'm there late. Uh, it started affecting school and, uh, I couldn't get any time downtime. I mean. He was taking all weekends off and i mean i was working seven days a week and just one day um i'd had enough and um uh, i just said you know what i'm gonna do something different and i walked into a recruiter's office and within three weeks of that meeting i was uh headed to the air force
0: wow and and again i remember those days in the grocery business i was a young guy probably 19 probably 18, 19 years old, had a store manager that hired me. I got hired when I was 17 store manager hired me and he gets promoted and goes to another store. And here comes a new store manager. And I'm like, this is going to suck. This is going to suck real bad. But uh, the the guy that replaced the guy that hired me ended up being a tremendous manager. Um, It sometimes it works both ways, but when you get that, that change in leadership, it, it just, it just does something, man. I I don't know. Some changes are good. Some changes are bad. You go to the air force. Talk to me about that time in the air force for you. (laughs) So the air force was a new experience for me. And, you know, um, I actually
1: looking back on it in totality, loved being in the air force, The, the camaraderie and the friendships. And, uh, you know, I've seen the globe. I mean, I've been to England, Italy, Japan, uh been to saudi arabia more times than i care to tell you about been to turkey and so Jason, been, i'd not
0: be remiss if i didn't say thank you for your service to our country by the way
1: uh it, it was my honor to do it and uh, i would do it again in a minute um but uh you know so i was actually in the service on september eleventh, two 2001 um i was here at off air force base um in omaha and uh that's uh probably in my mind sticks out of my mind is uh the singular biggest event, um, you know, I was in for that. And then obviously a few years later, I was in Korea at the time, South Korea, when we, uh, invaded Iraq for the second time. So, um, there's a lot of deployments, a lot of, uh, time gone. I was in a very specialized type of job in Intel at the time. And, uh, ultimately, you know, from a family life, you know, I had got married and had a young son at the time. And, uh, uh, it really caused a lot of friction in the home life. And, uh, you know, we made a decision for me to get out to, to see if that would improve the home life. So that's, you know, that's the story of the Air Force. I mean, there's hundreds of stories I could tell you about my time in the Air Force. But, uh, what I would tell you is that there's no better feeling than being with the guys that you serve with, uh, they're like friendships. I I I, I for people who have had it, experienced it, it's really hard to explain because there's a whole different level of trust you have to have with the guy that you're in the service with.
0: No, that's a great point because you're literally when when you're facing a war zone type of experience, you are you know, you are entrusting your life to the guy next to you and you're you're trained for those to the for those combat situations and things like that but I love what you said about trusting the guy next to you. As you think about leadership where you are now today is that the greatest lesson that the Air Force taught you?
1: Yeah, uh trust and then probably a close second is service before self. So. so, in the Air Force you know, as in all the services, you're taught at a very, I mean, almost from day one, it's not about you. It's about the country, right? And so I I just look at, like, in my company, it's not about me. It's about the company. It's about the customers. It's about the people that I lead and that allow me to lead and, and to be to be in the position I'm in, so I think those two lessons are what. to, So there's trust for the people that are in my care to to do what they need to do for the mission, and then there's also that that lesson of it's not about Jay, it's about them. And the sooner you figure that out in leadership, I think the more
0: successful you'll be long term. Hundred percent, hundred percent agree with that, Jason. I want you to take me through the biggest obstacle that you faced in life and business, personally, professionally, take me through the biggest obstacle that you faced and what was the lesson, the greatest lesson you learned from it?
1: Yeah. It's almost like you're reading my mind because you're, you you lead right into where we're at. So,
0: you know, blind group. squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, my personal <laughs> mission statement. I mean, that's, it, it is what it is. So man, yeah. I got to quit talking. The floor is yours. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: Go ahead. So, yeah. So, um, as I was exiting the Air Force, um, the the marriage I was talking about, you know, kind of imploded, and uh, you know, not only am I trying to figure out what I'm going to do at the time, I was trying to be a stockbroker, and uh, that was not, I was not something that I was naturally gifted at, um, like uh, retail, and uh, ended up coming home one day after work, and I've got papers, I'm being served. Uh, to get divorced and kind of got blindsided a little bit. You know, I knew that things had been tough, but I didn't know we were at that point. Um, you know, I've got two days end up in a, renting a room for a guy that I knew at the service and, uh, on an air mattress with a TV. So I lost everything in that process. Um, you name it, I lost the car, I lost financially the money. I mean, just a devastating point in time. And, uh, you know i remember i very vividly remember somewhere about a month and a half two months in I, I made a promise with god i said you know god if you'll get me up off this mattress and help me i promise i'll 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 do it right and uh i'll make it count and i'll share my story with other people and i'll give you the glory for it and i met my wife two weeks later my my, my current wife she helped me re-establish and uh start growing forward and uh, you know and, and 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 it's it's never been looked back since then probably the greatest lesson i learned there is that is humility and 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 humbleness and it's where the purpose-driven life th- comes from so you know i do this live show for uh living a purposeful life and that's where this comes from is because i i i believe up until that point i had taken for granted, the blessings that have been bestowed on me. And it was a uh, uh, something I will never, ever forget, that everything is a blessing and it can be taken away just as quickly as it was given. So we have to be cognizant of that and live in a way that brings honor to the gifts yes. and the blessings that are bestowed upon
0: us. I got to ask you this before I go, before I go here. I've got to ask you this. If you could go back, to that time, that, that, that time, that week after everything just, just hits the fan. If you could today go back then and find Jason Ricks and put your arm around him, what would you tell him then that, you know, now? I would tell
1: him that it's all going to be all right. And that this, this all will make sense 20 years from now, because it does. I mean, the thing is, is that, I'm the man I am today and the leader I am today like you, all those all those experiences working with my dad the leadership at Berkshire Brothers the air force that humility it has made me in my mind the most empathetic leader that I could be, and 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 listen. There's a there's a level of people talk about this level of genius that I have that I don't even understand myself, where I just instinctively know how people are feeling, or what's on their mind, or when they're off. And I think it's all a combination and a culmination of all of that stuff, Brian. Right? It's just one of those situations hard to explain. So I would tell myself, Jason, this will have a purpose and God has a bigger purpose with this. And I think that, I don't think I would be the guy that I am today and the leader I am today if I hadn't went through that, as yeah. painful and as bad as it
0: was. Yeah, yeah, and and you know what, that's the thing is, the things that are always best for us in life are the worst things we have to go through. And, and it just, I love what you said there. I always end every podcast, you know this, you've listened to the podcast. I Always end with this. What's your biggest piece for in, of intentional encouragement for folks today?
1: I want I want everyone out there listening. There's there's got to be somebody out there that's going through that hardest thing in their life. Uh, I want you to hear me. Like there will be peace and there will be opportunity on the other side of that hardship for you to go. And, and make it count and to pay it forward and to to then gain understanding as to why you went through that and i i i send you my prayers and my thoughts that you can uh, come you can overcome anything that life throws at you with a positive attitude
0: man i love that that is so good because one of my favorite quotes from zig Ziglar, and you can see the book behind me as you're watching this on video i've got a zig Ziglar book Zig says encouragement is the fuel that powers hope. And that's why we do the intentional encourager podcast, because, you know, when you go through those times and you go through those situations, you need hope. You need hope. And, and, and that's what we're trying to do. And, and you, you want purposeful hope. You really want intentional purposeful hope. That'll get you through Jason. Tell folks how they can connect with you, where they can find your resources. Um, This is your time to tell folks how how to to reach out and connect with you. I have your cell phone number. I'm not giving that out. So just, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, so uh,
1: the best way to connect with me right now is through LinkedIn. So on LinkedIn, Jason Ricks at LinkedIn. Um, I also have a uh, YouTube page, um, Jason Ricks at that. I have a uh, all things Jason Ricks page on Facebook. And uh, we should have something up and going in the next uh, two months or so um djasonricks.com so the the website's under construction right now um and and that once i get that up and running that'll be a great way
0: to you to link to everything that i'm doing and and keeping up with what i'm up to the jason see i would have done the brian sexton but the internet would have just laughed me out of the room (laughs) and so i just just decided to, to to go with the intentional encourager but Hey, man, this has been a ton of fun. Jason Ricks, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you joining me today on the Intentional Encourage podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, to all the listeners, uh, thanks for listening. I truly appreciate you uh, listening to us uh, banter today.
0: My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Mead. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day and until next time, remember everyone, everywhere, any time, and any place can be an intention.